So my uh, uh, father-in-law is um, a great guy, and he just uh, had a birthday a couple days ago, and uh, so he came to mind uh, when I was prepping this sermon, so lucky him. Um, but uh, he's a great guy. I, I love my father-in-law, amazing man, uh, has many, many different skills, but one of the things that he's best at is being a dad, right? You know, I mean, he uh, knows all the puns um, and uses them whenever he gets a chance, right? I mean, he's a good dad that way. That's what dads do. It's like something happens in our brain. I noticed it even for me, like when as soon as I had a kid, it's like all of a sudden, like all these puns like just filled up, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, where did all these puns come from? Uh, it's a dad thing, you know, so kids don't complain about it because someday, especially if you're you know, gonna be if you're male, you're gonna be a dad someday, and you'll be punning away as well. Uh, anyway, so one of the things though that he uh, he always says, I just I was just brought back to this thought. Uh, he said it so many times, and I just I love him for it. And it's one of those you know moaners, right? But uh, he, uh, you know, they in their family, in uh, Debbie's family, growing up, they kind of did this thing where they would eat dinner, and then you would have dessert like immediately right? You didn't wait. You know, my family, you know, we'd have dinner and then like maybe a couple hours later, it's like ice cream time, right? You know, let's do it, right? And let your dinner kind of digest. But they're, they're into this, you know, eat and then dessert is part of kind of dinner, right? It just it all kind of crashes together. And so I, I remember many times we would, for whatever reason, be having pie for dessert and we were at their house and, and he, you know, we all would be just stuffed, and then, you know, so mom, you know, mom in law would say, hey, you know, anybody ready for dessert, right? And it's like literally, we've just put our fork down from dinner and, and anybody ready for dessert? And uh, Don would say, oh, I'm so stuffed, but I've got room for a pie in my stomach, you know, a slice of pie, right? I mean, there's like, you got this whole, I got this space in my stomach where it just fits a piece of pie, right? You know? <laughs> anyway, and I, as I, th I thought of that, because I, I realized that, you know, we use this statement as well, that all of us uh, in Christian world, all of us have been created with like this God-sized hole in our heart. And to bring it to the message that we're going to go today, I, I feel like this is also true that we all have been created with a perfect hole in our heart that can only be filled by the love of God. We all have this desire for love, to be loved. This is what drives so much of our lives, all of us, whether we're Christians or not. The moment we're born, we're looking for love. We're looking for someone to love us, to be able to fill that hole in our life. To, to have someone who is going to care for us and to express that love to us in a way that we need, in the way that we have been designed, the way we've been created. We are all desperate for love. And that desperation for love motivates just about everything we do. Throughout our lives, we are constantly trying to connect, get people to love us, to be able to connect with other people where we feel loved, where we feel like we're valuable, we feel like they care about us. We, we do all kinds, we work out all kinds of ways to try to get that love, to, to, to manipulate people to love us. 
We, we figure it out young with our parents and how they treat us and how they care for us and whether they love us right or not or how they love us in one way or another. And then we develop that over our life. And that's how we are able to manipulate people. We call it coping mechanisms oftentimes. Ways that we are able to cope in our world in order to receive love. The goal of our life indeed is all about love and will do anything for it. However, the biggest challenge, I think, in receiving that love is that our perspective of what love is is so different. And again, dependent maybe on our family upbringing and how love would, was expressed in our families, how love is expressed in our communities, Part of it is, I think, as well, just a maturing process. When we're younger, when we're a kid, we have a kind of a really warped perspective of love oftentimes. And so we, but as we mature and we begin to experience life, we recognize that it begins to morph and change in what real love is. So this morning, I want to take us to Luke chapter 15. And we're going to use the the the. The parable of the prodigal son as a way to evaluate love. We're going to see that uh, the sons of the father had certain perspectives on love. And we can see their perspectives by the way they react to the father. And we'll see that as we look at these different perspectives, they're obviously very similar. They're something that we all tend to fall into as well, and we'll probably find ourselves in some of these perspectives on what love is. But then we'll end with the Father's perspective of love, and we'll be able to see that again through the Father's actions, and we'll find that that is where true love is found, is in how the Father responds to his sons. And that, is, that true love is what we need. That's what we long for. That's the love hole that we have in our heart and our lives that we're all striving for. It is only when we get the love of the Father and understand love from that perfect and true love perspective that we will feel satisfied. So Luke chapter 15, verses 11 and following. I'll read the whole thing and then I'll go back and I'll kind of take little bits and pieces of it throughout the message. And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, "'How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread?' But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. 
I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked, what, the, what, are these, what these things meant? And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when, his son of your, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, bro your, this your brother was dead, is alive. He was lost and is found. Familiar parable for sure. Many sermons been preached on it before. And this morning we take it from the perspective of love. You see the first son at the beginning of this story you could tell, like, there was some tension here. It doesn't go into this, but you can, again, uh, considering the fact that, again, I, I just want to clarify, you know, this, these aren't real people, right? So this is just a story about fictional characters, right? But I'm going to assume that they have some, you know, kind of normal perspectives of a human being, all right? And so with that, we can say, you know, okay, if love is what drives us, if that's what we're looking for, consider the son's behavior at the beginning, you know, he's kind of all bent out of shape, obviously. Dad, you know, you're not treating me the way I want you to treat me. You're not loving me the way I want to be loved. This, what is going on here? You know what? I am out of here. You know, I'm done with this. How long do I have to put up with you, Dad, and, the, and your old-fashioned way of doing things? I, you know what? This is not, you know what? I really need these things. I need to have a good time. I need to have fun. You know what? I wish, Dad, that you were just dead so that I could have all the things that are coming to me and so that I could get out of here. You see here that the son, this son has at this time a sense of love, that love is something that is demanded. It's something that he can demand his father give him, but more than that, it has, that his father has to give him that love the way he wants it. You know, how many times have our kids, you know, kind of demanded that as well, right? I mean, I, I think back to my kids, right? And, I, you know I, don't know, I don't know if I was a good dad or not. You know, there's, there's some, it's, the verdict is still out on that, I guess. But, uh, you know, I love my kids, but, you know, I had a, maybe an unorthodox way sometimes of dealing with them. I remember one of my daughters was all fired up. We had some, you know, we weren't letting her do something or whatever. And so we weren't loving her right. 
And so she kind of took this tack, you know, that, okay, you know what, I'm out. So I walked by her bedroom, and she's packing a suitcase. And I'm like, oh, hey, hey, what's, uh, what's going on, daughter? And she says, uh, I'm packing my suitcase, and I am out of here. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Can I help you? <laughs> and so I help her pack her bag a little bit. And I'm like, oh, yeah, here. Oh, don't forget some underwear. We got to have underwear if you're wherever you're going, right? And I'm like, can I call you an Uber? You know, I mean, I just seriously, I was like, you know, okay, whatever. You're going to run away, go for it, right? But we, we tend to do this as well with our own relationship with God. Don't we? I mean, don't we, don't we do this with him? Like, God, we want you to love me, but you need to love me my way. And we demand that God do certain things for us, that he answers certain prayers, that he blesses us in certain ways. We have this perspective that love is something that we can demand from God, that we can force him to give us, that we can, we can manipulate him into. If I just throw a big enough hissy fit, if I pack my bag and I'm going to leave, then, oh, well, then he's going to love me the way I want because then he'll realize how serious I am. It's a skewed perspective of love. But so often, even us as adults, this is how we treat God. We say to him that he must love us the way that we decide. And when life doesn't go the way we want, we get pretty critical. When we don't get the blessings that we feel like we deserve, we can start to kind of turn our back on God. Say, all right. I'm not going to get what I want from you, then why am I even worshiping you? So the son takes what the father has given him, his inheritance, and he goes out and he blows it. Spends all the money and gets, you know, he just has got nothing left. So he, you know, lives high in the hog for a while, and then he's eaten with the hogs after a little bit, right? <laughs> after he's spent all his money, he's blown all of his, his cash, he gets a job, but it's just a really bad job. And it's a, such a bad job that he's, just, he's hungry and he's dying, and, and the ones who've hired him probably aren't even paying him what it's worth or anything, and he's just, he's got nothing. And so he realizes, wait a second, you know, uh, I guess maybe... You know, the love that I was getting from the father was better than I thought. I mean, at least his servants, you know, they've got food to eat. I mean, I, you know, maybe this, you know, kind of idea of finding love, you know, on the street is not really what it was cracked up to be. And so he begins, you know, he kind of goes, oh, I, I, you know, I think I got this figured out. He says, I, I'm just going to go back to my father and say, hey, you know, you know, I don't deserve to be your son. I admit I was a jerk and I was so wrong and treated you so poorly, but you know, at least just hire me as one of your servants. And we see with this perspective that he has now of love that, that, that he's trying to earn it now. You know, he, he, this happens oftentimes for those of us maybe who have reached kind of the bottom of life. We've been beat down by just the different things that have happened in our world. Maybe our family hasn't treated us well. Maybe we've lost friends. Maybe we've had sickness and death in our life. Some of us have really had rough life. Rough things happen, a lot of trials and struggles. 
And we can sometimes take this perspective as well, like the son here, where he says, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe the, the answer, maybe the kind of love that I need is the love that is earned. If I just go back to my father, if I just work hard for him, then he's going to love me. He, he's got to love me then. But what we don't see or what he doesn't realize in this is that, again, it's just a slight difference from the previous kind of love that he was seeking. But now it's a different way of manipulating to get what he wants. He comes back and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Father. I did a horrible thing. I, you know, just, just take me back. Hire me. Let me earn my love for you because I want you to love me the way that I want to be loved, that I feel like I should be loved, but I can't demand it. I realize that now. So instead, I'm just going to work for it. Just going to try to earn it. You know, we see this in our world all the time. I think it's a tendency for us as well to fall into this. Matter of fact, I can't tell you how many uh, people I have counseled that are in some kind of, dyna uh, some kind of uh, conflict, interpersonal conflict, whether it be a marriage relationship or friendships or other family relationships. They come to me and they say something kind of around this uh, or something like this to me. I have been loving them for so long but they have never loved me back. And so I'm just done. I'm not going to do it anymore. The perspective is that they have been loving them in order to receive their love back. That love is something that is earned. That if I do the right thing, if I treat you the way that I think you should be treated, then you have to treat me in return that way as well, or the way that I want to be treated. So many divorces have happened in our world because people are, have a selfish perspective of love, a, a, a perspective of love that it's earned, that it's something that we work for, that this is a bargain, that when we step into a relationship, a marriage relationship, there's this give and take that's going to happen. I'm going to do stuff for you. I'm going to love you, and then I expect you to love me in return. And we do this with God as well. God, I've lived my whole life for you. Look at all the things I've sacrificed for you. Look at all the fun that I could have been having with my friends, but I said, no, that's not right. I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to stay home, and I'm going to read the Bible, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to spend time with church, go to family camp, and do that good, clean fun instead of doing the crazy stuff that my friends are doing. But you're not loving me, God, even though I've paid this price, even though I've sacrificed so much, you are not loving me. Next, we jump down to the end of this passage where we see the older son and his response when the younger son returns and dad throws a big party for him. In this part of the story, we see that the, the, the older son is really bent out of shape by this. He's like, what's going on? You know, he calls one of his buddies. Hey, what's going on in the house? Oh, they're having a party because your younger brother's back. What? They're having a younger party? I have never had a big party. Dad's never thrown a party for me, but I didn't go taking off. What, do I got to take off and come back in order to get a party, right? He's, and the older brother here is seeing love as a competition. He's seeing it as something that's compare, you know, compared to other people. You know, if dad's going to throw a party for the younger brother, then dad has to throw a party for me. 
You know, we see this with sibling rivalry all the time, right? I mean, all the time you see this kind of just push and pull, you know, you know oh, well, you, you treated my brother better than uh, my kid. I had three of them, right? I mean, two is great. Three is just crazy. Why do you have three? Just don't do it. Anyway, but, or nine or 10 or how many, I don't know. Anyway, but kids are, their siblings are always competing against each other. We had our middle child. She was the fair police, Right. She knew, I mean, if it wasn't fair, it wasn't fair. And she had all the reasons why it wasn't fair, right? And, and so, you know, if her younger sibling would get something, you know, like cell phone, right? This is a classic, right? She got cell, you know, our middle child got a cell phone when she was like, I don't know, 14 or 15, right? And then her younger sister got it when she was like 13. That is not fair. How come she got it two years earlier than I got, right? I mean, it is a fair police, right? This, this competition that is going on between siblings. And the perspective of love from this is that, that love has to be equal. Like, we have to treat equal everybody, right? You know, if you get this, then I get that. You know, if that's how God's going to show love to you here, well, then that means he needs to show me love that same way. We so often treat each other this way, but we also treat God this way where we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ and we see some of the blessings that they've experienced. And we're like, seriously, God? And why don't I get that? What, you love him better than me? You love her better than me? You know, what did I do wrong? I mean, why, why am I getting all the struggles and the trials? This is a real challenge for us sometimes in our perspective of love in regards to our relationship with God. We look around at our world, we look around at our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we so often are, get sucked into comparing. Well, God didn't answer my prayer that way. Oh, it's great that you got a miracle and got healed, but what about me? And we see this is a false perspective of love. And again, it's about manipulation. It's about trying to manipulate the Father. No, Father, you gotta, you got to love me just like you did them. I mean, if I want that, I want that too. I want the miracle too. I want the blessed life too. It's not fair that they get it and I don't. So, you know, you have to love me this way, the same way that you're loving that person. We see in all three of these, love that is deserved or loved that is earned or loved that is a competition. These are skewed perspectives of what true love is. And it's through the Father here that we will see what that true love looks like. So first we see how the, the, how the Father responds when the youngest son says, hey, give me my stuff because I'm out of here. You will notice that there's no battle. The father says, all right. He collects his stuff, divvies it out, and then gives it to his younger son. What the father is revealing to us about love right here is that love is free. It's the opposite of what the son is demanding. He's demanding love. He's saying, no, you have to love me, and you have to be love me this way. And the father responds with true love, saying, I do love you but I can't demand that you love me in return. Because love is not demanded. It's freely given. And so we see that the father lets his son go. 
He, he, he splits his, his, uh, his wealth and he gives it to his younger son and says, all right, go. He packs his bag for him. Uh-uh. No, I'm not the father, by the way. <laughs> Second, we see how the father responds when the son comes back. You know, the son comes back again, wanting to earn his place, wanting to earn the love of his father. And what does the father do? He sees his son coming from a long ways away, and he runs to him. He hugs him. He kisses him. He, he, he puts a robe on him. He puts a ring on him. He kills the fattened calf. He, like, totally loves on him right away without even listening to what the son has to say. Here we see the father clearly telling us that love is unconditional. It's not about what the son has done. It's not about what the son could do. Not about what the son will do. It's about the fact that the father loves the son unconditionally, and this is true love. This is the kind of love that we are singing about. This is the kind of love that you can't write enough of about. I mean, it's just impossible. If the sky was a scroll, we couldn't write enough about God's amazing unconditional love for us. You see, God does not demand us love him in return. He gives us freedom. He loves us freely. He has the courage to say, you know what? You guys can do whatever you want, but you need to know that I love you. And the, and the best thing for you would be for you to love me in return, but I'm not gonna force that. You have to choose that yourself. But more than that, he goes on and says, it's not just that it's free, but you need to know it's unconditional. Even when you do these horrible things, even when you rebel against me, even when you are doing evil stuff, I still love you. My love is not diminished for you. I love you just the same. It's not about us worshiping God. It's not about us towing the line. It's not about us doing things for Jesus. They, he already loves us perfectly. The motivation for loving him in return is because of his love. That's the motivation. He loves us, so we love him. We don't love him in order to get him to love us. We don't do things for him to get him and earn his love. Finally, we see the father respond to the older son. The older son who is all ticked off in this competition between him and his brother, that, that his father needs to love him the same way. And what does he say? He tells this, he tells this older son, he says, you have always been with, you, with me. I always love you. I'm always with you. At any time, there's these amazing blessings that I have for you. It's not about me loving you like I love your older son. It's about me loving you the way that you are. You uniquely, just the way I've created you for. The Father here tells us that love is individual. The expression of that love must be unique. Every one of us that he has created is totally unique, unique different than anybody else on the planet. And God knows us perfectly, and he knows how to love us perfectly. 
We so often think that we know better than God. No, God, this is the way you need to love me. These are the things you need to bless me with. These are the evil things you need to take out of my life. But here's the deal. God knows perfectly what you need, and he is ready and willing and often is already giving it to you. The question is, are you receiving it? Or are you busy looking at what other people are getting and saying, I want that over there? But God says, no, 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 I have this. This is so much better for you. Love is, true love is free. True love is unconditional. True love is individual. When we understand this, when we experience this, when we receive this, when we recognize God's love for us is these things, when we give up the, the, the striving and the desperation to try to get love, and we recognize that God is already loving us and begin to receive that love, it changes us. It changes the way we interact in this world. The power of love is unimaginable. What it can do for us. The frantic nature of our world today, even in our country, part of the, the big part of the chaos that we're experiencing right now is that there's individuals that are striving desperately to be loved. They're trying to, 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 to do the things to manipulate other people in order to love them, whether it be politicians, whether it be news outlets, whether it be people posting on Facebook or, or Instagram or whatever it may be in social media. All of so many people in our world are looking for love. They're desperately seeking it out, trying to manipulate others to love them the way they want to be loved because they've never experienced true love. But the moment we bow our knee to Jesus and we experience this true love that dumps into our hearts and into our lives, once we stop trying to, to create something or make something or manipulate God and we just sit back and look around and recognize what he has already done for us, how he has already loved us so completely on the cross, it is then we can give up our fight for love. It is then we can walk through this life without a sense of desperation, without feeling like we have to give of ourselves in order to try to earn love from other people. It is the power of love that will change the way that we live. When that hole in our heart that love-sized hole in our heart is filled, we are no longer desperate, we no longer need to manipulate the goal of our life has all of a sudden been accomplished. When we know we're loved, then we know we're valued. When we know we're valued, we know that we're purposed. We're here for a purpose. We've got a reason. We've got, you know, if fear goes away, we're able to walk life in confidence. See, this is what we don't understand. We continue to pursue love from people instead of simply being satisfied with love from God. And love from God is the only thing that satisfies. 
Now, sometimes we experience that love from God from others. But when we begin to expect it from others or demand it from others or begin to try to manipulate it from others, then we lose sight of what love is all about and that it comes from God, not from others. When we have filled this love-sized hole in our heart, we also have freedom to love others. When someone decides to walk out of our life because they didn't like how we treated them, we can be okay with it. We don't have to desperately try to get them back. When we see someone else receive a blessing, instead of being jealous and complaining to God or to others that they, why are they so lucky, we can actually celebrate with them step into that and be happy for them. You see, when we have this love-sized hole filled in our heart, we're free to love others, our Father in heaven, our family, our friends, and even our enemies. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus, or chapter five, Jesus tells us that we need to love our enemies as well. Those who persecute us, we need to pray for them. There's only one way we can do that. If we have a love perspective like the sons have, we're never going to be able to do that. But when we have a love perspective that love is free and unconditional and free as individual, then we're able to step in. When we've experienced that kind of love with the Father and have been satisfied with it, then we can step in and love our enemies. The series that we're on this year is uh, right currently, right now, actually this for the last uh, few weeks has been the kingdom of God. And what is offered? What does Jesus offer us when we come into the kingdom of God? The kingdom that, we're enter, that we have entered is a kingdom of love. And it's true love. But here's the deal. This, this year's series is all about sharing this with others. It's all about getting in touch and understanding who God is, who Jesus is, so that we can share Jesus with the world. When we understand the amazing love that we have received from the Father, when we understand this amazing uh, love that we received from Jesus, the fact that he willingly gave his life for us, when we understand that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of love and it's unconditional, it's individual, it's free, that, is, that motivates us to share that with the world because we know that other people need that kind of love. Our world is desperate for love, and we've got it. We've stepped through the gateway into the kingdom of heaven, and it's a kingdom of love. And the thing is, is the gateway is still open, and we can continue to bring others into it. But the question is, are we sharing that love with the world? Who do you know who is desperately searching for love? Do you realize that you have the true love that will satisfy them? That you've experienced it? That you're in relationship with the one who is true love? If you recognize that, then we need to share it with those who are desperate for it. We've got to love this world. The way through this pandemic, the way through this chaos and politicization of everything is through love. It's not through winning the argument. It's not through trying to earn people's respect. 
It's not through demanding that they treat us the way we want them to treat us. It's through loving them like Jesus has loved us. Totally free, totally unconditional, and totally individualized. Just for them. All right, worship team, why don't you come up? Leave you again with this question. Who do you know who's desperate for love? Think about your friends. Think about the people in your family. Think of the people you work with. Think about the people around you in your community that you run into. It's not very hard sometimes to see, right? It's pretty obvious sometimes to see those who are most desperate for love. Who do you know? And are you loving them? Are you allowing God's love to flow through you to them? How can you do that? How can you begin to take those steps if you're not already? To share the love of God with those who are lost, who are desperately in need, and who are still searching, trying to manipulate everyone around them in order to receive a love that is not going to be what they really need, and that's the love of Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your amazing love for us. Uh, Lord, I just, uh, as I'm thinking, I just ask that you would re reveal to us again your love. Uh, Lord, first of all, Lord, help remind us of what Jesus did. I mean, this is, the, this is the source of it all. This is the greatest expression of love is what Jesus did, that he laid down his life for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, we hadn't turned around. We hadn't said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jesus, please. Oh, would you die for us? No, no. We were still rebelling. We were still throwing his name into the mud and dragging it through and just being jerks. And you still came and Jesus still willingly gave his life for us so that we could escape our due penalty and they spend eternity with you. So Lord, take us back there. Remind us of how you've expressed your love to us there. But also, Lord, I know this about you. You are constantly expressing it to us in other ways. And so, Lord, I would ask that you would remind us of those other ways, even right now in our lives, and how you are loving us how you are expressing that love to us. I will never forget the time that I spent just sit, hanging out with you, wanting you to answer so many of my questions. And then when I finally got my heart quiet, the words that you spoke to me were simply, I love you. And it changed me forever. Lord, may everyone in this place today hear you say those words again, I love you. And then, Lord, may we then take that love to the street and share it with all that we come in contact with. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and following. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
loved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. In Jesus' name, amen. And God bless. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us this morning.